please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. We'll be reading verse 14 all the way through to 11, verse 1. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of the pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. We are trying to arouse the Lord's, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, Eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours, for why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I say, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. My name's Scott. If we haven't met, I'm the assistant minister here. And uh, why don't we pray as we come to this passage together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes living in this world is complicated as we seek to make decisions that bring glory to you and that are the right thing to do. Father, thank you for passages like this that help us to, um, to think that through uh, rightly. And as we come to it this morning, please would you speak to us uh, of of all that you have done in Christ, and of how that shapes how we live, how we make decisions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know how I'm up here with 90s dance tracks. Um, stick with me a second. Um, Ultranate, uh, if you're a, a fan of Ultranate, uh, they had a song called Free in 1997. It may not be your era, but, but run with it. Um, the song went something like this. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. Here are the lyrics. You're free uh, to do what you want to do. You got to live your life, do you hear it? And do what you want to do. 
free, you're free to do what you want to do. That either means nothing to you or have that song uh, rolling around in your head uh, all morning. It, it, it is in many ways a sort of anthem uh, of, of our culture. Um, it, it sums up something about the way that we view our lives and the way that we live them. I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. Uh, in fact, nobody can. As long as I'm not harming anyone, then I will do what I want to do. Is, should that be true of the Christian? That is the way the world lives in many ways. Is that true of the Christian? The, the Bible's clear, isn't it, that we are free in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. And he set us free from the law, from sin, and from death. But is that the same as saying we're free to do what we want to do? How should I use my freedom? That's the question that the passage uh, we, we're looking at this morning answers. And to get, to, to get the right answer, to make the right decision in each um, area of life, we need to ask the right questions. See, our default in this culture is, is to ask, well, what works best for me? What is best uh, for me? What am I free to do? What are my rights? But this passage is going to challenge us. Now, that, those are the wrong questions to ask. That's not the right perspective to have. If you really get uh, what Jesus has done for you, if you really get the gospel, then our attitudes to every decision that we make is changed. Now you make decisions not based on what you're free to do, but on the basis of God's glory and the good of others. That's what we'll see this morning. Let me, let me remind us where we're up to, uh, or if you're just joining us, we've been... Uh, a little series in chapters 8 to 11 of 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and the question that Paul's been addressing is a very specific one for the Corinthians. Can we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? That was a big part of their culture, um, temples on every street corner. Uh, it was the way business and social engagements worked. It was all sort of based around the temple and the eating of these meals that had been sacrificed uh, to idols. And all the way through, um, Paul's been trying to guard them from the danger of just going with the flow, just doing it because it's what everyone else is doing without thinking about what they're doing. And so here in these verses, he, he draws his, his argument to a close, really, and he draws out um, some guidelines. Right, we're going to see them. We're going to see he asks two big questions as people try to make the right decision, ask two big questions, all guided by one big principle that summarizes it all. Two questions and one principle. Two questions, they're there on your handout uh, if you're following along, if that would be helpful. The two big questions he asks is, is this thing participating with demons? If the answer is yes, don't do it. And the second one, is this good for others? If yes, well then you can do it. Brackets, sometimes. Uh, and the principle uh, is do everything for God's glory that others might not stumble. That's where we're going uh, this morning. The first one then, uh, flick back a page. If you flicked on, we're back on at 1151. First question Paul gets us to ask is, is this thing I'm, I'm thinking of doing, is it participating with demons? Let me, um, let me read from verse 14 of chapter 10 again. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break 
a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Paul's straight in there. It flows from the argument um, we saw last week but, or two weeks ago. He's straight in there, flee from idolatry. Don't participate. Don't have anything to do with uh, demons. Don't participate with them. I don't know what you, what you think as you sort of hear that as an instruction. It sounds a bit full on, doesn't it? Don't participate with demons. But, but the Bible is clear all the way through that there are spiritual forces in this world that are opposed to God. And they are demonic. And there is a way in which we can join with those uh, demonic forces. We can participate with them in the way that we live. What does it mean to participate uh, with demons? Well, to help us understand, Paul compares, uh, he draws a comparison between the Lord's Supper and these temple, uh, these meals that people were taking in the temple. Uh, One, the Lord's Supper is, is the Christian meal. The other is demonic. See, by eating and drinking the Lord's Supper, um, if you're a Christian, you are expressing your unity with Christ. You are participating in Christ, fellowshipping with him. You're expressing your unity with, uh, with God's people. You're saying, I am one of God's people. And in some way, you benefit from Christ's sacrifice as you remember and take part in the Lord's Supper. Paul's argument is is that that's just the way these meals work. To eat the meal is to participate. And he says that's the way it's always been. It was like that back in the Old Testament uh, when the the Israelites, they would come and offer their sacrifices uh, to God. And part of that process was was they would take some of that food and they would eat it. They would would share the meal together. They were saying, this sacrifice, I'm, I'm part of it. I participate, take part in it by eating of it. And Paul's saying, look, that's the same for these, these meals that are taking place in the temple. If you eat it, you are identifying yourself with uh, the thing that is being worshipped, with the idol. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, um, you remember that Paul's already said that idols are nothing. There's nothing, you know, they are nothing. And yet, it still matters if you eat that meal or not. The idol may be nothing, but there are um, demonic forces, Paul says, behind false worship. And so it is totally inappropriate for the Christian to take part in these meals taking place in the temple. That's where Paul lands, isn't it? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. You cannot It's impossible. You cannot identify yourself as one of the Lord's people and take part in these meals. And the seriousness of that uh, comes right at the end uh, of that little section in verse 22. Why is it such a big deal? Well, the question, are you trying to arouse the Lord's 
jealousy. That doesn't mean that, um, that we can make God jealous of our stuff. You know, uh, you know God, God's jealous of your new shoes uh, or your car. Um, it's not about God being jealous of what we have. It's about God being jealous for us. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. He wants what is best for us. He doesn't want us to be dragged off uh, by worshiping other things. He wants us to worship him alone because he knows that that is what is best uh, for us. The first question Paul gets us to ask is, is this decision I'm making, is it participating with demons? If the answer is yes, then don't do it. Don't arouse the Lord's jealousy. Don't participate with demons. So for the Corinthians, that meant don't, don't go to the temple and eat of the temple meal. Now, I guess that's not our situation, is it? Um, uh, their situation was very specific for them. And so as we come to apply it to ourselves, we do need to be careful um, not to draw too many hard and fast rules uh, about what uh, we can and can't do. But, but here are a couple of possibilities that's worth thinking through. Let's, um, let's start with something that's more easy and, and work our way to, to one a bit more difficult, I think. Um, uh, your lovely, friendly neighbor invites you to, to a seance um, at their house over cheese and wine um, or a, a tarot reading. Now, I don't know if you have neighbors like that, um, but that sort of thing is, is on the rise uh, in our culture. You get invited to that, what should you do? Uh, that one's fairly obvious, I think. Don't go. Don't go. They may see it as just harmless fun, I don't know what they say, but, but don't, don't, don't make yourself, don't align yourself in some way with, with something that is demonic. Okay, let's, let's get a little bit harder. Um, your, your child uh, has a, a, an RE trip um, to a Sikh temple, um, a Gurdwara. Um, you offer to go as one of the, the sort of parent helpers, guardian helpers. As you leave um, uh, the, the Sikh temple, you get offered this little suite, um, prashad it's called. Now what, what child or what adult for that matter can, can refuse a little sweet? That's just a nice little sweet. Um, I was getting hungry after all my visits. Well, that, that, that sweet is actually part of the worship of uh, the temple. It has in some sense been offered in worship. So I think in, in that instance as well, uh, you should probably decline. You should say no. Here's a harder one. Um, you get invited to a, a colleague's Hindu wedding um, where the food uh, that is being served almost certainly has been offered uh, to idols. It's pretty hard to avoid the food at a wedding unless you bring your own uh, picnic. Um, harder one still, um, a, a, a funeral um, of, uh, of a neighbor, of a colleague, of a family member, in which at that service there will be ancestor worship as part of it. Should, should you go if you're a Christian? That, that one, I think, depends on what part uh, the ancestor worship plays in the service. Is it a part that I can uh, withdraw from or abstain from, or is, it part, is, is just my very being there participating in that? That's hard. Uh, you need to think that through. But we are urged here to flee from idolatry. So we need to ask that question as we come to make decisions like that. Is this participating with demons? 
most of the decisions we make in life probably won't be in that category. That would be a fairly obvious uh, question to answer. The, this second question is, is probably the more relevant one uh, for us this morning, uh, and it is this. Is this good for others? Is this good for others? Uh, flick over the page uh, to uh, chapter 10, verse 23. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. See, the Corinthian Christians, they have, they have this little catchphrase, I have the right to do anything. And it's sort of an excuse uh, for doing anything uh, un unthinkingly. But Paul, Paul flips it around. He says, that's the wrong attitude to have. You may, you may be right, but that's not an excuse for doing anything. You might well have the right to do anything uh, as a Christian who is free in Christ, but not everything is going to be good for you, for others. Not everything is going to be constructive. Not everything is going to build others up. And so he says, don't, don't claim your rights, but look to the good of others instead. And so as you ask that question, is this good for others? If the answer is yes, then you are free to do it. Sometimes. And so Paul gives us two little case studies just to unpack that a little bit. Uh, the first example he gives us is, is meat sold in the market in Corinth. Look at verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. See, in Corinth, most of the meat that was sold uh, down the local butcher uh, had some connection to idol worship. It had almost certainly been slaughtered in the temple. So should the Christians just avoid meat altogether, unless they can be absolutely sure um, where it's come from. Well, no, says Paul. That, that, that's not the way to do it. Everything, he says, belongs to the Lord. So there is actually nothing wrong with the meat. It hasn't been contaminated uh, in some way. So if you're buying meat at the market, at the butcher, then it doesn't matter where it's come from. You are free to eat it. In doing so, you show that you give thanks uh, to God for his provision. It shows you're not living in a, in a sort of Christian ghetto, uh, but you're, you're taking part in society. No problem. That's the first example he gives. The second example he gives is that of a dinner party. What do you do when um, a non-believing friend invites you around to theirs for dinner? Well, Paul says that depends Verse 27, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So if you see there, Paul's default position is it's fine. It is fine to go and eat whatever is put in front of you. You don't need to ask a sort of 10 questions about where it's come from and what's happened to it before it's reached your plate. But he says it would be different if someone draws attention to where it's come from. Look at verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? 
If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because it's something I thank God for. He says it, it, it does depend. If someone tells you uh, that this meat has been offered in sacrifice, well, then don't eat it. But do you notice, uh, importantly, what the reason why Paul says that? It's not because the meat itself is contaminated. It's not because there's something wrong uh, inherently with the food. No, at this point, you refuse for the sake of the other person. There isn't anything wrong with eating it, but your concern isn't about yourself. It is about uh, your, in this case, your non-believing friend. Why, do, why does that change what you do in this instance? Why does it change? Well, even though you know there's nothing wrong with it, in the non-believer's eyes, this, this is part of their worship. It has been offered uh, in sacrifice. And if they know that you know that, and you're just still happily tucking in, well, then in their mind, there is no difference between your Christianity and their pagan religion. They're the same. Your, your Christianity doesn't really make any difference. It's just like uh, eating meat sacrificed to an idol. You might be clear that it's fine. You know what's going on. You know idols are nothing. And yet, for their sake, it would be better to refuse. In declining, you show that, that, that Christianity isn't just one of multiple options uh, on the religious menu. There are exclusive claims that Christ makes. Let me try and ground that with a couple of examples of how we might come across that today. Imagine, um, imagine your, um, your Bangladeshi Muslim neighbor um, invites you around for dinner. They're quite strict Muslims, so you know that the meat's going to be um, halal. So the first question you ask uh, from 1 Corinthians 10 is, is this participating with demons? Well, no. Um, halal meat is, is just a way of um, uh, slaughtering the animal. Isn't it? It's not actually part of worship. Uh, there's no offering to, um, to Allah involved. But beyond that, um, normally, we'd, we might ask that question, but normally beyond that, we'd, we'd be asking uh, questions that, that depend on me. Will I like uh, the food that they serve? Will it be too spicy uh, for me? Um, but those aren't the questions to ask uh, if we're looking out for the other's good. Is this good? for others. Well, I think it is good, isn't it, to go around to a neighbor's house for dinner. It is a good way to, to show friendship and to create opportunities for gospel conversations. So, in this instance, probably for their sake, it would be good to go. But it would change um, if in the course of the evening it became clear that that, that neighbor and thought that in, in eating with them, you are participating in worship to Allah in some way. For their sake, at that point, you should decline to eat. You don't want anything to get in the way of their understanding the gospel. You don't want them to be confused by your actions. And I guess, uh, uh, as I sort of give that an example, you sort of think, oh, that, that would be awkward. I'm sort of there, and I have to, uh, you know, we're, we're so worried about causing offense um, that, that we sort of, um, we just go along with it. But if their good is our priority, their good of knowing and understanding the gospel is their priority, then 
then we're not just going to go along uh, with it. We're going to say, no, I'm sorry, and, and maybe explain a bit about why we think that. That's one example. Um, here, here's another one. Um, in the, uh, back when I was a, a student, uh, back in the day, I um, uh, was part of a rowing uh, crew. And as part of our training, um, as a one-off, um, we got invited to do a yoga session, uh, to go to uh, an instructor and, and do yoga. I am the most inflexible person you've ever met. Um, so I was already thinking, mm, not sure. But uh, some Christians have issues with yoga. We don't have time to, um, to go into the sort of roots of it. Uh, but, but some people have, uh, you know, that is an issue for some people. Now, at that point, I was a, a sort of unthinking, um, undiscerning, uh, whatever I was, 19-year-old. And so the only question I was asking was, do I want to go? Will this be good for me? Um, will I be feeling this for the next two weeks and, and be in utter agony? You know, I was asking those sorts of questions. If, if I'd been a bit more discerning, um, I might have asked, am I free to go? Is it a good thing for me as a Christian to go. But better still um, would be to ask these 1 Corinthians 10 questions. Am I participating with demons? You might have different opinions on that, and you might, you might have to do a bit more research. I don't, I don't think in that case that, that anyone at that session thought that by doing their stretches they were uh, worshipping uh, an idol in any way. If I do it and I'm, I'm giving thanks to God, I think uh, that that would be okay. I'm there uh, to show myself as, as part of the team, um, that, that I don't just sort of uh, sit in church uh, all day, but I can, um, yeah, it opens up gospel opportunity, maybe. But you see how just, just even by asking those questions, I'm already thinking differently about the session that I may or may not choose to go to. If I do decide to go, I, I'm, 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 I think about it in a totally different way. This, is not, this session is not all about me. It is about other people. Now look, it, it, it might have been different again. Let's, let's give the caveat again. If someone had said to me, oh, I find yoga such a, a spiritual experience. One of the members of the, the team had said that. Well, then I might, I, I might want to pause and think, what do, what do they mean by that? What does it say to them as a Christian if I uh, go in and also take part in something that they see as inherently spiritual? That, I think, uh, would get, get me to consider, uh, again, ask the right questions again. See, the, the answer to these sort of issues it, it is complex. I mean, it's not going to be straightforward. And asking these questions, it, it sort of makes it more complicated uh, before it becomes clearer. But they are the right questions to ask. Why? Well, because they reflect a gospel principle. So Paul concludes not just this section, but actually the whole argument he's been making from chapters 8 to um, 10 with the big principle and my final uh, point on the sheet, if you're following. This is it. Do everything for God's glory that others might not stumble. Do everything for God's glory that others might not stumble. Let me read again from 1031. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Greeks, Jews, Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, in the end, whatever I do, 
should be motivated by God's glory. Does this bring God glory? That's, that's a big question, isn't it? What, what is it that bring, brings God glory? Well, ultimately, I guess it, it is people worshipping him rightly. It is that people growing in their understanding and love of Christ. It is people coming to know him as their Savior and Lord. And so that should motivate all my decision-making. Paul fleshes out a little bit in, in the second command in that section. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks, non-Christians, or the church of God, other Christians. So in my actions, I am seeking to build up other Christians. And I'm seeking to commend the gospel to those who don't yet believe. Paul says he's trying to please everyone, not because he's a people pleaser, not because he's desperate for people to, to like him, but because he doesn't want anything to get in the way of them hearing, understanding, and accepting the gospel for themselves. Is this decision going to help someone hear and understand the gospel? And if that is our attitude, well, that shapes at the way we think about all sorts of different decisions, isn't it? I don't know, questions that you might be thinking through at the minute. Should I go to that wedding? Should I watch at that show? Should I go to that party? Um, here's, one I, here's one I faced earlier, or I, I faced recently. Um, one of my oldest friends uh, is, uh, is acting, is taking part in a one-man drag show. One of my oldest, uh, oldest and closest friends, and he's doing a drag show. What, what, should I go? I'm not going to tell you what I did. Um, uh, I'm not sure I got it right. Uh, feel free to come and have a, a, a chat afterwards and help me think through the sorts of questions, you know, how I apply these questions to that situation. If you're going to do that, by the way, if you're going to come and help me think it through, make sure you've got an example of your own uh, that you're also uh, thinking hard about. Uh, don't just come and lecture me, um, <laughs> says the guy at the front. Um, but it's difficult, isn't it, some of those questions, uh, and there'll be situations that you'll face that are similar. Well, as we finish, uh, it, does that all just feel like too much work? Oh, now I've got to ask questions about decisions that I'm making. And, well, look where Paul lands uh, in chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And here's another mid-90s reference for you. Back when I was a young Christian, it was all the rage to wear a, a WWJD bracelet on your wrist. WWJD, what would Jesus do. We thought we were very cool in the youth group uh, for having all sorts of multicolored um, bracelets that did that. It's a good question to ask, actually. Um, Naff as the, the bracelets might have been. Um, lots of the time, it is hard to know, isn't it? What would Jesus do in this situation? And I guess depending on who you are and depending on who you're speaking to, pe people can argue all sorts of different things by saying, oh, I'm, I'm sure it's what Jesus would do in this situation. But what we can say as we look at, uh, at the life of Jesus is that everything he did was motivated by his Father's glory and by the good of other people. 
ultimately, of course, that, that they might be saved, that they might believe and trust in him and receive eternal life. Jesus gave up his rights, didn't he? We had it earlier in the service in Philippians 2. He gave up his rights for the sake of others. He, the eternal son of God, came to earth, took on the form of a, a servant, and became obedient to the point of death. Why? Well, so that his father might be glorified through him. And so that many, many uh, countless individuals would, come, would be saved uh, through him. So as we seek to do that, we, we, as we seek to ask those questions about decisions that we make, we are following Christ. He is our example of what it looks like to use our freedom for God's glory and for the service of others. So whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we long that all of our lives would be conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. That whether uh, we've just started following him or we've been following him a, a long time, that, that you would be shaping us in Christ-likeness. Father, you know that so often in our hearts we, we make decisions solely based on what is best for us. Father, would you open our eyes to well, the wonder of, of living not for ourselves but for your glory and for the good of others. And please, would that make us um, those who think hard um, about decisions that we make, how our actions, our behavior will impact others and how they will ultimately bring glory to you. Father, help us when, when that's hard uh, to discern. Help us to be prayerful. Help us to, to ask these right questions, to have that principle in mind that we might uh, honor uh, you and love others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.